0: It's been a fantastic weekend, hasn't it? Yeah. You know what? I don't want to. I don't want to abuse anybody else. I, I sort of feel like I really should be nice for the last, you know, chat that we're going to have here. I, I, lo- I, I might have to. You know what I'm saying? Like as we get through this, I might just slip into the old fill. You know, the old flesh that's there that I've been trying to deal with so much. Um, I have really, really enjoyed this weekend. I've been coming up here since 2009. Not every year, but a lot of the years, and, and we got to know a lot of people, but I've so enjoyed this weekend. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just because we've all been let out again um, <laughs> after sort of a couple of years. Um, but it's just been a tremendous time. The worship uh, from Wes and Trevor and, uh, and per- Pastor Bert speaking down in the other, the, the other venue, wasn't it just amazing? <laughs> it's just been great and some of the opportunities that we've had to share and pray with people and salvation has visited the tent well we call this a tent salvation has visited the tent this weekend has it been fantastic and it's my desire and prayer that that will visit more people within uh, the, these, this wall as well, but look, I I, do, I want to just sort of round everything up. I know it's Sunday morning; we're all tired. We're all heading probably for a long journey after this, so I will look at another uh, attribute this morning. But I want to just round it sort of all up, sort of just to bring it all to a focus point. Um, from what we've talked about over the weekend, again, the books. I always like to let you know the books that have been using whenever uh, uh, I talk. Uh, So, A.W. Tozer, The Attributes of God, Volume 1 and Volume 2 is the books that we've been using. If you're looking for a couple of really good books to read, order those on Amazon. There's 20 uh, attributes in total, 10 in each book. And so, tonight's verse, uh, sorry, this morning's verse, Transcendence, uh, 1 Chronicles 29 and 11, and what 1 Chronicles 29 and 11 says is, "'Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory.'" Power, there's that power again. Is Frank about somewhere? I hear the laugh, but I don't see the face. Uh, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head above all. Okay, the term divine transcendence, is probably a term that you may have heard of before. It's one which is initially hard to get your head around, but at its most basic level, it simply means to go above, to rise above, or to be above. Now, this aboveness that we're talking about here, again, like last night, uh, it's not a geographical or a spatial thing, like like a star up there in the cosmos. It's not that type of aboveness. It's uh, really that God contains everything. We know that He is everywhere. He fills all time and space. And like we said last night, the wee phrase I love is that God doesn't have to travel to be anywhere because God's already everywhere. And so whenever we talk about transcendence and that being the, the aboveness of God, it's not a geographical or a spatial thing. And really what we're talking about here is uh, it's an analogy by really saying how superior God is to us and infinitely superior He is to us. And it's hard for you and I to comprehend that. It's hard for us to comprehend how God is within us he knows everything about us, but yet he's so far above us. And it's hard maybe to get our heads around both sides of that concept. Is it a contradiction? Absolutely not. And I hope that as we've talked about God over the last three sessions, and this morning as we sort of just bring this all together, I hope that you will begin down the mountain with a little bit more head knowledge of who God is, but it's up to you now. It's up to you now to get into the Word of God for yourself, to seek the Holy Spirit and ask that the Holy Spirit will reveal more and more and more of God to you because I've done my job, I believe, and then it's up to you guys now whenever you get down that hill whenever you're waking up tomorrow morning, whatever it is you're doing, it's over to you, guys. Now, listen, God is nearer to us, as we've already been pointing out over the weekend. God is nearer to you and I than our very thoughts. He is nearer to you and I than our breath, our heartbeats, and even our souls, but yet God is so far above us in His uh, superiority. You can't actually comprehend that because it's an, an infinite thing. God is infinitely above the birds, And I I wanted to put that in there because who heard me in 2018? Yeah, the wee birds. (laughs) You know what? I came and I preached my heart out, as I always do. And every person that I've met since 2018 has reminded me about the birds. That's all you heard in 2018 you remember whenever we were here in 2018, I let you in the little secret that my guilty pleasure was wee fat birds. All right? Okay? That's exactly how we put it. But there was a spiritual and a theological point to what I was saying, but everybody has just remembered about the wee fat birds. I even heard about the wee fat birds when I visited the 51st state of America at the end of November. And... Uh, in 2019, I think that was, and I'm still hearing about the birds, but guess what? My guilty pleasure, I still love wee fat birds, all right? <laughs> love it. And I've been staying, I was staying in Joe and Melinda's this week, I've been staying in Pat and Connie's, and it's amazing that your house, houses are full of pictures of wee fat birds. Uh, just saying. Um <laughs> And they're nice pictures, I have to be honest. I loved them. I was looking at all of them, and I noticed I'm drawn to a wee fat bird. (laughs) Oh, I'm digging a hole for myself, aren't I? And that's all you're going to talk about now after this weekend, isn't it? The one we've just talked about for, what, three, four hours about God, and we're going to remember the birds again. Hackles. Hackles. Yes, Heckles means getting your back up. People that discussed that last night didn't realize that was a colloquialism. Getting your hackles up is getting your back up, all right? So anyway, God is infinitely far above the birds. He's far above people, angels, demons, the devil, and all created things. Why? Because he is the creator. He is the self-existent one that we looked at yesterday morning. And yes, just to remind you, because that's what this morning is about, I just want to remind you of some of the important things is that he is infinitely far above Satan as well because I think it is dangerous very often for us to somehow think that God and the devil is somehow on the either end of a seesaw. And I know that if you think about that, you won't believe that, but actually we live our lives thinking like that sometimes. And the devil is simply not free. Do you remember what I said? The devil's simply not free to wreak havoc on your life The parameters are set clearly by God. So let's go down the mountain believing that, yes, things may happen to us, but nothing without God's permission and knowledge. Don't forget that ever. And so, therefore, if it's happening to me regardless of how or why it's happening to me, I need to learn from it, and actually, it's for my good. And so, Remember that whenever you face some of the things that you might face. There is nothing or no one who created God. There is a vast and an infinite gulf between that which is God and that which is not God, including the devil and his demons and his angels, between the great I Am and all created things, from the archangel to the smallest virus. And we know that how COVID has wrecked havoc on this world, something that we cannot see, but would you believe it that God is infinitely greater than the archangel, but he is also also infinitely greater than the atom. He is equally far above each of those things, because God is infinitely above all things. God is not like the peak of a pyramid. Because if you were to believe that God was the peak of a pyramid, then you would actually be grading God in some way. You would say that God is a degree of something. God is not a degree of anything, because God is everything. God is infinite in everything we think of who God is. So if we think about God being love, God is love. It's not about God shows love. It's actually God is love. God is just. God is merciful. God is gracious. And God is infinitely all of those things. God is immutable, and He is infinitely immutable. He doesn't change, transcendent, imminent. All of the things that we've talked about, self-existent, He is infinitely and transcendently far above all things, Infinitely in every way, and God is as high above all of the creatures that He has created in every way. And the fact that God is uncreated means that He is transcendent, and that He can rise above all of his creatures. Here's what Tozer says. Tozer says, "How can I speak How can I speak of that which escapes all human speech? how can I think about that which is above all thought? How can I talk when silence would become me better? And what Tozer was actually saying there was that he feels unable, actually unable to talk about God because God is so vastly superior and infinitely transcendent above us. He's not saying that we shouldn't. He's just saying that that is how he feels. St. Augustine said, O oh God, when I would speak of Thee, I can't. And yet if I did not, somebody must speak. Can I encourage each of us this week and after we leave here to let's start talking about God. you know what Tozer said 60 years ago? Tozer said 60 years ago that if the church actually got back to studying and learning about God and the attributes of God, we wouldn't be in the state that we were in. He said it 60 years ago. Would he be turning in his grave today? Of course he would be turning in his grave today. And so there's a challenge for you. I'm not promoting the, the Tozer books, but if you want to get a couple of good books, buy those books, those 20 attributes. It's written well. It reads easy. It's a really good book. And there's, there, the chapters are, well, they're not that long, and with there being 20 attributes, you could do it over. You could do it even do it in a Bible study in church or whatever it is. But the thing is, learn as much about God as you possibly can. Get some good books and good teaching on it. Don't don't neglect the Bible. Never neglect the Bible. A good textbook, theologically or otherwise, is only good if it's in addition to the Bible. Don't miss the Bible because if you're not going to read anything, uh, uh, sorry, if you're not going to read the Bible and read all these other books, actually, I would suggest that you don't do that. You remember Smith Wigglesworth that we talked about a couple of nights ago? Smith Wigglesworth actually only learned to read when he was in his 50s, I believe. His wife taught him how to read, and he only ever read the Bible, and he was one of the greatest evangelists that the world has actually ever known. Now, I'm not saying that we should only read the Bible. I'm saying that we should read the Bible, yeah? It's easy as Christians to talk about all the views that we've got. Sorry, I'm just going to off track a little bit here, but let's go for it. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but it's easy how we can have comment and thought about a lot of theological issues, but sometimes a lot of Christians haven't even read the Bible from start to, start to the end. You know you can read the whole Bible in a year if you read it for 15 minutes a day? Did you know that? 15 minutes a day, you'll get through the Bible in one year. I'm not saying that that's what you should do every year, but if you haven't done that, I actually think you should set yourself that challenge to read the Bible through between now and next uh, Firefighters retreat. 15 minutes a day, you can do it. And it's not always about Quantity by the way, it's about quality and meditating on scripture and you can do both sides of that. But let's let's look at that as a challenge for us as well. You know what? Our words about God. Yes, these guys, these great people of old are saying, How can we speak of something as infinitely transcendent as God whenever we are not like that? But yes. God loves the fact whenever we try to speak about him and we try to describe him. Obviously, our words don't even scratch the surface of an infinite God, but God in his love for us loves our measly efforts to do so. I would imagine that the majority of people in the room today is a parent. Do you remember whenever your uh, three or four-year-old brought their first painting home from school or kindergarten or nursery, whatever it is you call it? Yeah? Do you remember whenever they brought the painting home and they looked at you and the painting and said, that's our house. That's you, Daddy. That's the car. And that's the dog. And you and I are looking at it going, I just see blobs of paint, son. Now, that's what, maybe what you're thinking. Everybody nodding their head here? No. Don't we love the picture? Where does it usually go? On the refrigerator. We call it the fridge, by the way. On the fridge, because I'm the one with the microphone. That's where we stick it, don't we? Yeah. And then sometimes the better ones even get framed, yeah? I noticed in your bathroom, I see you talking, the bathroom that Wes and I were sharing, there was two pictures up, one by Katie, one by Julie, am I right? See, I spotted that, I'm observant, you know. One was a bird, and one was a... See, I noticed the bird, Did you noticed that? I can't remember what the other one was, a fish. Wes noticed the other one, you and the fish, Wes? Where's like fish, fish and chips. Um, so, but the point is, a two-year-old can't paint a bad picture. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, if you and I try to describe God, if we describe God from the depths of our heart, in the sense that God knows and loves us, then we can't actually paint a bad picture because God wants to put our picture and our efforts on His cosmic fridge. Yeah this is actually a real and a perfect thing because we can't describe God, but if God sees our efforts to do so, He loves and He cares for us so much that there actually is no such thing as a bad effort. Let's just serve God and where we are. Sometimes people think, how can I serve God because I've been saved uh, a day, I've been saved a month, I've been saved a year, I have no theological training. Do you know what? If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can serve God in any capacity. You just have to open your mouth when you get through the door and tell people your personal experience of God and what God means to you and how He has saved you, changed your life, turned you around, and guess what? God's sitting up there going, fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. There is no such thing as a bad painting to God, if our hearts are for God. You know, we can never understand God, but we have to get back to the place of seeking Him in all His ways. And we talked about that if you remember the other night. We talked about to seek God's face, not His hands. You will seek Me and you will find Me when you seek Me with all your hearts. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. We looked at that. We need to dehumanize God. No, because we've done that for far too long, we have humanized God. God's not human. Yes, we are created in God's image, and that is such a great compliment to us, but God's not human, and never think about it that way and stop dehumanizing them, because God is God, and He is all of the things that we've discussed over these last few sessions, and I don't have time to get back into all of that, but as preachers, my job as a Bible teacher, and if you're a preacher, a teacher in here, Sunday school, whatever it is, it's our job to point the way with absolute fear and intrepidation to what we can know of God. It's that holy reverential fear that we talked about as well. There's too much flippancy going on when it comes to God. We often want our ears tickled when we go to church. Do we? (laughs) Well, we lose our focus on God. Do you want your ears tickled when you go to church? Some people do. Some people, church hop like mad because somebody said something to frustrate them or annoy them. Often people, meet serial church hoppers. There's nothing wrong with changing churches, by the way. I've just changed one recently. Nothing wrong if God's leading you to do that, but if, there's, if you're a serial church hopper, my dad used to call them spiritual gypsies. Yeah, because somebody says something to you, something happens, and you're out of there. Come on. We're the church, by the way, it's just a building, it's just a gathering, it's, it's just a group of people. But absolutely, you find the place that God has for you and you get plugged in. And you get in underneath the leadership and the, uh, of that church and that's a good thing. And some people may, God may be prompting you. He may be prompting you to look to whatever type of teaching or, or, or a church that, that speaks the truth and all of those things. And those are all really, really important. And you find that and you plug in. You know, we're all going to have to deal with God someday. Why not now? Why not do it before we actually get to heaven? We can have a measure of knowing God through now through our salvation, but how so many people haven't actually got there. People can do all sorts of good things, but do not know God. You know that we've talked about this last night, and I'm rushing through this this morning because I'm mindful of time. I know everybody's tired. I'm tired, and we want to get back down the hill, but I'm just rounding this all up. But if you know God, you will know that you know God. We talked about that last night, yes. We talked about the Quat, dark night of the soul. It was actually a poem by St. John of the Cross. Patrick Patrick, did do his homework, sent it to me by WhatsApp this morning, but some of the guys also told me the answer to that last night. Do you remember we talked about that? It was actually a poem in the 16th century, I think it was. Did you know him, Pat? If you know God, you will know that you know God. Something in your heart recognizes him. Yes, things might get quiet, but that's just a process actually of us having to rely on our faith in a much deeper sense. But you should know that you know that you know that God is in your heart. And I would suggest to you that if you're feeling, and we've talked about this already, but this is just one of the reminders from the weekend, that if you feel distant, the thing that we talked about last night, then you need to actually change some stuff. And even if things get difficult and hard for you, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, you should still have a feeling and an understanding of the peace of God in the depths of your heart you should. And if you don't have that, there actually is something wrong. You need to go and and deal with that. And again, I'm not going over what we talked about last night, and that's what we did. If you don't feel that search for Him now—and here's some things about meeting God— There is a dread in meeting God. Now, some of these statements may shock you to to start with, but we'll back them up. There is a dread in meeting God, the manifest God. People don't want to know that. People always want cheered up when they go to church. Now, I'm not suggesting that that is all of you in this building, but whenever we talk about my church, it's not actually an accurate statement if you think about it, because we are all church. We just happen to meet in different locations as the church, the global church, yeah? Yeah. And so, very often, people want cheered up when they go to church. It's easy now, actually, because we've all went online, and there's many people in our generation, and it was talked about somewhere this morning. I think it was in the, the, the study group this morning at half six. There are many people who actually have got really easy now because we've all sat at home and watched it on TV. Yeah? And now the church is back up again, but you know what's easier? Don't have to drive to church. All that fuel, it feels expensive now. Why would I go to church? It's on TV. Come on. We need to meet together. It says in the Bible that uh, we should continue to have fellowship with other believers, and it says that some have actually given up doing that. We've actually made it quite easy for that to happen. But like your church, like mine, we noticed whenever COVID struck that whenever we did put everything online, we got all the professional equipment in, we don't want to go back because we know that hundreds more are watching each weekend, and so it's the balance but we also know that there are many people who think it's on TV I'm never coming back to church. And probably my generation as well, for some reason. And that's sad. If you're one of those people, get back out, get plugged into fellowship with other believers. Don't miss that. Don't neglect that. Yes, you may get the sermon online, but you're not getting the fellowship with other people. But there is a dread in meeting God. Genesis 28, 17, we read 16 last night. I don't need to re-give you the context other than to say that Jacob was the deceiver who was running from his brother who was going to murder him. He was the future Israel who was going to be the father of the nation. And here's what it says in Genesis 28, 17. He was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. If God turned up in a manifest way, trust me, there's dread in meeting God. You only have to look at the Old Testament saints whenever it actually happened, and you will recognize that there is such A dread and actually meeting God, but yet that's what we should yearn for constantly, is the presence of Almighty God, the manifest presence of Almighty God, and understand that actually when see what God turns up, the whole death precedes presence thing, that you know that you're going to have to be on your face if that happens. The Bible tells me that anyone who met God was petrified. You know the stories, don't you? the Old Testament stories, they were petrified of what they witnessed because they knew that they were an unholy person meeting an infinite holy God. And those two things actually can't commune. Well, you remember the guy Uzzah? I always felt sorry for Uzzah. Anybody know your Old Testament? Uzzah was the guy who put his hand out to uh, steady the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant, incidentally, was being carried in the wrong way. It was David who actually did it wrong. He put it in the back of a card. It would never been on the back of a card. That's another story. But Uzzah, whenever it actually went to overbalance, he put his hand out and he dropped dead. And I used to read that long time ago and think, that seems a bit harsh. I'm serious. I did. I, I, I couldn't actually get my head around that. But see, whenever now that I've studied Scripture and I've looked at it in more depth, it's a fact that the non a holy God cannot actually commune with an unholy person. It's, it's just another attribute of God. It can't happen. And the Old Testament, death always had to precede presence. And obviously, Uzzah had not been uh, atoned. His sins hadn't been atoned for in that situation. He wasn't a good guy in the sense that he was pure before God. And he couldn't touch that. And so we pointed out as well that you and I, death have to precede presence for you and I as well. And we should be in dread actually before going before God. And it's the fact that it's our flesh and the old lumps of clay that need to be removed before we actually can get before God in a manifest way. Because this is about the awesomeness of God. Not a fear for fear's sake, but rather a recognition that when we meet Almighty God, that things can never be the same again do you want to actually meet Almighty God? Because see, if you do, life's never going to be the same. And I know that we pray about revival constantly in the church, particularly in the West. It's something that we talk about all of the time. But are you ready for that moment? And yes, that's what I want. And yes, I absolutely believe there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit right across the world. One last great harvest. I certainly want to be part of it. I'm sure that the people within this room wants to be part of it. But guess what? You and I actually have to meet an Almighty God in a manifest way first. There has to be that dread before God and knowing that our flesh must die in order for us to carry the presence of Almighty God the way that we need to in order for revival to take place around this world and for us to be part of that, when you're with God, the fears of this world fade away. But we should have that absolute fear of Almighty God. An interesting, we analogy about fear. I think I told it the last time I was here, but for those that weren't, the the idea of perfect fear drive sorry perfect love drives out all fear, and it's the analogy that if if I was sitting in my living room at home, looking through the windows, and this. Big, massive dog was coming down uh, the road. Big German shepherd. Something, something nasty, yeah. I'm sure you have German shepherds over here as well. Um, certainly, I don't want to be going out through the front door whenever this thing is growling its teeth at me. But guess what? See if one of my wee ones is out in the garden at the same time, what am I going to do now? I'm going to rip its head off, aren't I? Why? Perfect. Love drives out fear. So, if we can love God the way that we should be loving God, then the fear of the world diminishes. The fear of the world dissipates completely, but we have to have an absolute dread and fear and reverential fear of Almighty God. Secondly, there is a feeling of awful ignorance when we meet God. Theologians think that they have all the answers, Bible teachers think that they have an answer for everything in the Bible, but I say that the closer to God we get, the more we know that we don't know. And how can we really know all there is to know about God? It's impossible. It's actually very arrogant to suggest otherwise that we know all that there is to know about God. And and also, and I I tackled this on Friday night as well, in my view, there's too much flippancy about God. You know that I tackled the idea of Jesus as my boyfriend. I struggle with that. Google that. There's an awful lot written about that, and on the internet, it's it's a worship thing. Uh, I don't like it. I'm just being honest with you. There are people who try to justify it. I can't see it. I really can't. This is Almighty God, and to, to to somehow bring him to that stage where he is that sort of boyfriend-stroke girlfriend type. Relationship is just wrong in my view. Also, what about referring to God as the man upstairs? I don't like it. I hate it. I think it's actually really, really bad. I'm not even sure I would refer to my own earthly father as the man indoors or whatever. And you use that sort of phrase sometimes, don't you, when you're talking men? I again, I don't like this phrase, but I hear hear men in the fire service. Of an older generation used to refer to their wives as her indoors. I actually thought it was really, really disrespectful. And so, whenever we think about those kinds of things in human terms, how much more disrespectful is it to refer to God as the man upstairs, or Him, or any of those colloquialisms that we may use for a familiar relationship? This is God Almighty. And if you're here and you have used those expressions Repent of them because I think that's what you should actually do. Because there should be that awful ignorance of meeting God. There's too much flippancy. Where's the awful ignorance in that? Here's what Tozer says We need to recover that feeling of ignorance. We know too much. There should be a speechless humility among us in the presence of the mystery inexpressible. I love that phrase. Write that one down if you're taking notes, that God is the mystery inexpressible. Now, let me read you the whole quote again. We need to recover that feeling of ignorance. We know too much. There should be a speechless humility among us in the presence of the mystery inexpressible. Thirdly, there is also a sense of weakness when we meet God. When someone is in the presence of God, they will know how utterly weak that they are. You just have to think about Isaiah. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 fascinating verses. I'm not going to get into all of them. I'll read just a couple of them to you. Isaiah 6, 4 and 5 says, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. This is the commissioning of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. And Isaiah in the midst of that moment says, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Hosts, There should be an absolute sense of weakness when we're in the presence of Almighty God. And these things that I'm saying may sound negative to you, but actually they are not negative to you because we actually have to get to the place where we recognize that we are absolutely nothing so that God will start to use us. You just have to look at the Beatitudes, and I think when it was here in 19 at the Firefighters' piece, we went through the Beatitudes, if you remember. And the idea of the beatitude starts where? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, recognizing that we are nothing without God. Having that absolute dread, ignorance and fear of Almighty God, recognizing that, yes, He's our Father, yes, He loves us, but having that reverential fear Often, Whenever you go back to the Old Testament, you look at Proverbs, it says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Do that as a Google search when you go home and look and explore what the fear of God actually should look like for you and I. And if we are over-familiar with God Almighty, then there's something wrong with that. But yet, yes, He is absolutely our Abba Father, our Daddy God. Now, That's not irreverent because that is actually the relationship that we have with God Almighty is that He is our Father, but we have to remember that He is our Father and He is Almighty God and He lives within us and there is not a single thing that can touch us or harm us. Not a single hair in our heads can be harmed unless God says so. And we have to recognize that and we have to present God in that way and we have to start living in that way. Because if we're weak, actually, God is strong. 2 Corinthians 12 and 10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what the Apostle Paul could say. And I actually think we've got everything upside down a little bit. But if you look at the, the, the kingdom life of God, it's actually an upside down world. But we don't live it like that because we, have, we apply the same mindset that we apply to every other of our lives with our relationship with God. But actually, we should not be applying it like that whatsoever. We should know that we're nothing. We should serve God like we're nothing. Whenever we get the opportunity to present God, we should pre- present it in such a weak way and not of our own flesh as much as we can absolutely avoid and recognize that it's nothing to do with us whatsoever, but yet we keep going, we keep going, we keep going, we keep going, we keep going. We do the best that we can to serve the God that we love. I'm telling you, see if you can get this peace together in your minds, your life will never be the same again. I can promise you that. Let me challenge you with that. When you go down this hill, start to think about some of the things that I've been telling you. Get other books. Start doing your research. Get into the Word of God each and every day insatiably. Don't leave it down. You should want to know everything that there is to know in the Word of God. So let's wrap this all up. I know I've been quick this morning. I've been quick on purpose. We're all tired. We all have long journeys ahead of us. So I just want to wrap this all up and hand back to Jason. And so some of the things that I may have been saying may have appeared negative. If, if you think when I talk about having that dread of God or the ignorance before God or weakness before God, that may sound negative to you. But in my view, whenever we're talking about Almighty God, for me, it is contrary, contrary to the case because actually that's where God needs us to be. And it seems counterproductive, but it's actually not. Because do you not think God can do what God wants to do? You know, very often we think of something happening and we could have prevented it. Come on. God can do what God wants to do. And I know that God can reveal himself to any man or woman. And we've talked about that right at the top whenever we looked at Romans 1.20, do you remember? When we talked about and introduced these divine attributes of God, whenever it said that whenever we look at creation, actually no man is without excuse. And so, don't think for a second that God's relying on you. You know, it's not like if I don't do what God tells me to do tomorrow, then God's sitting up there going, oh, why am I going to get this done today? Big Phil was supposed to do that. He's let me down again. <laughs> do you think God's sitting up there scratching his head? Yeah, you, you know, you might think that, but God's not scratching his head. God… God God's going to do it, whether you help Him or not. It's just a privilege that we get to help God. And the idea of us helping God is actually more about our eternal kingdom. It's about the rewards process, actually, after the point of our salvation and how it is that we're preparing for the next, the, our next eternal place, because God's going to get done what God needs to do anyway, whether we help Him or not. It's just a privilege that we actually get to get involved in it. And of course, we have to love God and love others, and that's what we should do, because that's actually what God wants from everyone. Did you know that? Did you know that actually what God seeks is worshipers? That's what's important to God. God wants more worshippers. And so we actually, first and foremost, we have to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is likewise unto the first that we should love, our neighbors as ourselves. And then we go into all of the world and preach the gospel. We go into all nations, make disciples. We go to Samaria, Jerusalem, uh, Judea, to the ends of the earth and be witnesses. That's what we do, but we have to do the other bits actually first. We all have the mindset that we are better than our neighbor, but we are not. Is that a bit of a shock? Hmm. Is it? Do you know what? Here's a thought for you. I spent 27 years in the fire service, like many of you in the room. I'm retired now. I've been in some horrible situations, as, as everybody in the room can identify with, I've been in places in very, very, very socially deprived areas. I remember when I joined the fire service. I was very young, very naive. I was only 21. I left. I left college to start the fire service. I was. Uh, I'd never had a, a job. I had part-time work, but fire service was my full-time job. I remember going into my first watch and it being such a shock to me as to that some of the guys that I was going to be working with, this naive young fella who was brought up in church, and all of a sudden he's presented to a lot of hairy backside you-know-whats in the fire stations. And it was such a shock to me, but to tell you the bigger shock was the first night shift that I did, whenever I went into some of the socially deprived areas that I was serving, whenever I seen how people lived. But isn't it so easy whenever we as firefighters go into those homes and go, what's happened here? You know what I'm saying? Not everybody's had the privilege that maybe you and I've had. Those people are loved by God as well. And it's so easy for you and I to think we're better than our neighbor, but actually, whenever we've talked about some of the things that we have talked about as carnal Christians, actually, we're not. Can you accept that? Some, people, some of those people would give you their last... I remember being offered... When I was in a home. It was, I think it was Christmas Eve... And the, the people didn't, the, it was a fire in the, the apartment. When we went in, the guy was refusing to leave because he didn't want to be taken to hospital for Christmas. So he was actually sitting in a fire. And and thankfully it wasn't a big fire. There was a lot of smoke. We couldn't convince him to, to leave. I think we eventually did. And whoever was living in the house with him was trying to give us drinks, uh, Cokes, that kind of thing. And the glasses were filthy and I remember Uh, as firefighters, it was sort of like taking big steps backwards. You know, we don't want that type of thing, but not because we didn't want to accept the gift, but because we thought, this is dirty. You know what I'm saying here? But yet that probably meant an awful lot to those people. And I've been in houses, as you've been in houses, and you look and go, oh my goodness, how do people live like this? But yet... We don't know the circumstances of people's lives, and whenever we face a circumstance like that, do you not think God died for those people as well as He died for you and I? You, may not, you and I may have been born with silver spoons in our mouths, if you like, in terms of our privilege for God, being born into church. That's maybe not true for everybody in the room, but I would imagine there's a big percentage of the people in this room, and you actually come up through the church system, if you like. But isn't it so easy whenever we come up through the church system for actually us to sit in our high castle whenever we're looking out around us and we see people who just don't maybe think like us, talk like us, and all of a sudden we have this self-righteous approach. And I know these are harsh words, but I'm telling you that if we think we're better than our neighbors, we've got a problem. And it's the hardest thing in the world to break a cultural mindset. It absolutely is. And so whenever we face scenarios and situations like that, absolutely, we have to work within a professional structure. Of course we have, but come on. What about the staff, maybe the lower paid staff that work in your stations, for example? Do you take the time of day with them? I remember over the years in the fire service and we would have cleaners across all of the the, the places and and, and cooks and different things they got there. And very often it was easy for some people to look down on people like that but these people are still people. I'm doing a fantastic job, by the way, and I'm not, absolutely not. I used to love spending time with these guys because they're actually more real than the people who think they are something. I actually preferred to work with the people who actually made things work. You, I used to say in the fire service when I first joined, there's two people you don't fall out with. It's the cooks and the manual technicians because <laughs> the cook's gonna feed you and the manual technicians gonna get you stuff. It's What is it? Everybody loves a chief or something out there, was it? They never met a chief I didn't love. Is that, did you talk about that one time, Mike? You know? I ended up as a chief. I didn't like too many chiefs. And I'm, for the benefit of our people, all the senior people we were known as chiefs, not the far, not the big chief. But the point I'm making is actually see the people that come into our station, see the people that come into our lives, see the people that live at the end of the street, see the people who have made a couple of bad choices and they're maybe living on the streets, see the people that want to come into your church but feel that they can't because they don't have nice clothes. They're the people, and I'm completely off my notes now, and I don't know if it's a Holy Spirit thing or not, but they're the people that we actually have to love. They're the people that are our neighbors. They're the people that actually, if we don't get the attitude right, then God's gonna actually hold that against us. Yeah? And so whenever we look at God and recognize, that's the point that I'm making, recognize how insignificant we are actually in relation to an infinitely significant God, whenever we realize that it's an upside-down kingdom, whenever we realize actually we need to be right down here, that that's when God actually starts to use us in such a mighty way. And whenever we can love the world like Christ loved the world genuinely without a condition, You look at James, I talked about James as well over these three days, the book of James and some of the stuff in there about godliness. Chapter 2 never ceases to amaze me because that's about the rich man coming into your church and the poor man coming into your church. And when the rich man comes into the church, it's about getting him a nice seat. When the poor man comes into the church, you sit at my feet. How ridiculous is that? But actually, I'm not saying that you might actually do that, but do we think like that? I remember there was people used to come into the church that I was attending and they had problems with alcohol and all sorts of things. And we made a point of actually serving those people in our church, but it was still difficult sometimes whenever you knew that they maybe had been in the same clothing for weeks when they had been maybe urinating in their own clothing, but yet come in, let us put our arm around you because that's the people, that's where was Jesus? Where was Jesus? Tax collectors and prostitutes? See, if Jesus was around the day, we, probably we, most of the church would run him out of town because of who he was hanging out with. And I'm not saying that we should be hanging out with that kind of thing as an excuse to hang out with that kind of thing. I'm saying that if our hearts is mission and our hearts is love actually, and it's difficult, and I'm talking this direction as well because I'm all for a nice, easy, comfortable life sometimes as well, but if we have to step outside of our comfort zone to help the very people that Jesus Christ would have been standing amongst, then that's absolutely what we should be doing. So if we look in a different way in any of our neighbors, then actually we need to look this direction. Is that a fair point? And all sin, no matter what it is, is apparent to God. You might look at the sin of the prostitute. You might look at the sin of others that we've discussed and talked about there. But what about my self-righteousness? Because self-righteousness is actually the condition of sin that we've talked about as well. And see the minute I think, see the second that I think that I'm not self-righteous, guess what? You've got a problem. The minute that enters my head. And so, I know that what we talked about last night was strong stuff. Teaching that kind of stuff, I always find it really, really difficult. But you know what? Something I promised the Lord whenever he called me into the Bible teaching ministry is that I got to say what God gives me to say. And if people don't like to hear what God has given me to say, I'll answer for that. James also tells me that I'm going to be judged more harshly because I'm a Bible teacher and that frightens the life out of me. And so therefore take what God's saying to you. Ignore the flesh. If there's stuff I'm saying that you don't like, that's well and good. Just go and ask what God has been saying to you this weekend. God is transcendent. You cannot find Him him on your own. The cross of Jesus Christ makes it possible. The cross spans the great gulf between God and man. You know what? We're finished. Hopefully Hopefully, you've been inspired through some of the stuff that we've talked about. Hopefully, you've felt reprimanded about some of the stuff that we've talked about. Hopefully, you've felt challenged about some of the stuff we've talked about. Hopefully, you've gone down this hill with a desire to dig a wee bit deeper for yourselves. It's one thing me talking here maybe for a total of three hours, but you need to get into this yourselves. I need to get into this myself. And so I just want to pray for everybody in the room and also just point out that if you have been here this weekend and you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ, uh, talk to the guys at Hume and you've got firefightersforchrist.org. You can contact us through that. The app, which is Firefighters for Christ, and there's opportunities there to contact the, the leadership team if you want to talk about any subject, any question, anything like that. But can I just pray for you in general before we leave, before I leave? Uh, just a prayer of blessing on each of and every one. He said, I'm sure there are many people in this room who have unspoken requests. I'm sure there's all kinds of things in a room this size where people are struggling with all. So can I just pray for everything, just a, an encapsulation as we leave this mountain and hopefully, God willing, we can all meet up again in the next year or two, it'd be great. If not, we get to spend eternity in heaven. You know, there's only one bit that, I, that, that sort of, I struggle a little bit with that is spending forever with the Canadians. <laughs> I. What a boot. Boot you. is a boot. 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 Anyway, listen, I digress. Just, I was just to see if you were awake before I prayed for you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just love the people in this room, Lord. I love you. And I love what you have done for me and what you have done for the people in this room. Lord, I pray that each and every person here, whatever's going on in their lives, Lord, that you would bless them indeed. Lord, that you would enlarge each person's territory within this room, that you would protect every person within this room, and that you would put your angels all around about them, protect their physical health, protect their mental health, protect their jobs, their homes, their families. Lord, I would imagine that there are many people in here who have prodigal sons and daughters. Lord, it is our desire, Lord, that those prodigals will come back to you. But Lord, I just pray, Lord, that moms and dads can live the way they're supposed to live and that kids can see a godly family unit that they will want to be part of and that they will cry out to you as well, Lord God. I pray for each and every person here as they go safely back down that hill, Lord, as they go back to their jobs, to their lives, whatever it is that they do Monday through Saturday, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to each and every person here, Lord, that you would develop us all into a kingdom people, that we would be willing to serve you wherever that is, Lord, whatever that is, Lord, that we will not be focused on all of the treasures of this world, Lord, but that we will be focused entirely on you, recognizing that you will supply all our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, I just pray that you will bless and keep us all safe. Uh, those who are traveling a little bit further, taking flights, all that kind of thing, Lord, just be with us all till we get back home to our families. And whatever we have to do, whatever assignment you give us each and every day, Lord, help us to do it to the best of our ability. Lord, help us, Lord, to draw close to you. Help us, Lord, to get into the word of God each and every day till it burns a hole in our hearts, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.